It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Well, welcome to the Tuesday edition of Daily Thunder. And usually I'm not here on Tuesday, so this is sort of a weird moment for me to be standing here on a Tuesday. It's usually Nathan on a Tuesday. Sorry, Nathan, that uh, you ended up getting displaced. He's back there just soaking it up that he gets to be behind a computer today instead of up here. But the reason Nathan and I decided to do this is so that we could go through the five, what we typically call the five arts of intimacy for the five days of this week, sort of traditionally as, as the start of the advanced training, since that is what we're unpacking this week. And so we give sort of a cursory overview of each one of these key ideas and unpack it a bit. Uh, so this is a five-part series that we're going to go through. Uh, we went through part one yesterday, which was called The Importance of Time. And the series is called The Secrets of Intimacy. Uh, this particular one, part two of it, is The Impact of Study. Not exactly sure if I'm sold on my title, if that's a very impressive title, but it's, you know, it's true. It's just it doesn't move me. I like titles that move me. The impact of study. It's not bad. You know, it, it, it falls into that category of okay. So uh, let's, uh, let's look at this. You know, we used time yesterday. We were talking about the importance of how we utilize every moment of our day, sort of like the Native American and how they use the buffalo. And they're literally using every aspect of the buffalo to maximize its benefit. And the same is true with time. In our life, we waste so much of it. And yet, if we were to recognize that we have an accountability before God for this one life lived, this, we have a limited number of breaths, we have a limited number of seconds, we have a lim- limited number of decisions that we're going to make, and we want to utilize those with excellence. And so yesterday was a very unique and uh, impacting message. I mean, it, it uh, stirred me uh, at a deep level. So when we're dealing with the idea of study, a lot of us are immediately going to think an academic concept of study. We're going to think textbooks and, okay, I'm going to study. Oh, yeah, mom and dad, I have to go in the other room and study. And that sometimes removes the real idea of study and what it is. And I know if you've gone through Ellerslie and you've gone through like saturation Bible study with Nathan, you understand that this is more than just an academic uh, procedure. At the same time, there are, there are tools that you're going to use, which are academic, yes. But if you were waiting on a table, let's say you were a waitress or a waiter, uh, or am I, is it politically correct to say a wait person? Uh, if you were a wait person, then what, what are you going to do? You're going to, especially like a five-star restaurant, just have you ever seen, it's actually a fascinating study to see how these people work because they know everything that's going on. They know when you're done with your plate. They know when you're done with this. They know when you need water refills, but you don't ever see them. They linger somewhere, but what are they doing? They're studying you. They're actually watching you to determine how they can best serve you. And if I was going to try and liken biblical study or this idea of studying God, it would be to that. It's like we are observing not just text, because when we think of studying, we think of studying the Word of God. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's the chief way that we get to know God is through His Word. However, did you know that you can study how He moves in your life, how He speaks to you, how He convicts you? There's all sorts of things to study. And I can watch how He works in your life, not just my own. And so I can see how he works in you. And what do I begin to do? I begin to compile an understanding of the workings of God. 
I am getting to know God by observing every little movement. I'm like that weight person that is watching God at work. I'm watching him set down his glass of water. I'm like, oh, he needs me to fill it now. And you're like, how did you know that? Well, I've been watching him for a long time, and this is right when he needs his glass filled. Oh, he, well, you see, when he sets down his fork like that, that means, and so there is a statement I've oftentimes used in my spiritual life, even when I'm talking with other people, and I'll be like, oh, classic God. You see, they'll share a story with me, and I'll, be, I'll sort of chuckle, and I'll go, oh, classic God. And I'll even say that about the devil, uh-huh, classic devil. How would I know that? How do you know classic God and classic devil? It's because you've observed, you've studied. And that's what I want to sort of draw to the surface is it's not an, just an academic pursuit. It is a studying to serve. It is a studying to express love. It is a studying to know someone. And so the way that I study my wife is very different than the way I study math. The reason we study math is so, well, for most of us, it's so that we can get through the subject and we can get a good enough score that we don't need to retake it. In other words, our goal is to get beyond it and as opposed to delight ourselves in it. The reason I study my wife is to know her so that she would feel loved and cherished and cared for and that it would be a bridge to even a greater depth of intimacy that I share with her. And so there's a distinction between those two types of study. You could use the same word. And that's why I'm trying to take the word and rescue it from the academic school world and bring it into the spiritual world to recognize that, yes, yes, it's the same word, but it has a different import. It has a different nuance to it. And it is living. It is exciting. So if we were going to get going in this whole adventure and say, all right, let's learn how to study Jesus. Then, before we start, we must remember this. So, D.L. Moody has a, a great quote here. And by the way, that's not E.W. Moody, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with D.L. Moody. This is D.L. Moody, not E.W. Moody, okay? He has Moody Bible Institute. We have Ludi Bible Institute around here, okay? All right, that's just a bad, that was, that was, you guys didn't even like that. That was just like, it fell flat. Uh, D.L. Moody is, what's funny is this quote is so basic and every single one of us in this room could have said it. If you've hung around Ellerslie, this is like a quote of like every one of us in here, but we'll give D.L. Moody credit for it because he carries, you know, a big stick. The key to the whole Bible is Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, that, like I said, you could have swapped out any name in here and just stuck it because that's what we all know. We all know that the key to the Bible is Jesus Christ. He's the key that unlocks the deeper meaning of it. But that's very important to recognize that the whole point of the Bible and that which unlocks the Bible is a person. It is a personable thing. If you're talking about the whole key to mathematics, you're going to have a different answer to that, even though, ironically, the whole key to mathematics, if you really want to get down to it, is Jesus Christ. You know who created math? The creator of the heavens and the earth created it. If you want to understand math? Get to know Jesus I know, that, that seems a little strange. It might get me off topic because now it's making us study math now with a desire to see Jesus, which ironically is how I would teach it to you. If I was teaching math, that's what I would teach. But let's get back to our subject. The key to the whole Bible is Jesus Christ. It's the discovery of a person. Isn't that an amazing thought to think about what are we after? What are we desiring? When we study, it is the discovery of a person. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that today you could discover Jesus at a greater level? And to know that he desires to be discovered, but he purposely seems to hide himself uh, 
and desire to be discovered. It's sort of hard to explain because he doesn't hide himself with a desire to be hidden. He hides himself with a desire to be discovered. There's a difference between the two. There's two forms of hiding. One is, uh-oh, they're after me. I don't want to be found. And the other is, uh-oh, they're after me. I'm going to hide just over here to make it an adventure. And so just, I want you to think about the way that he created the, the earth. He created the earth, and in this earth are all these layers. And in these layers are treasures. There's gold in the earth. And he didn't just put it as a big chunk on the surface. He like buries it. He has these like diamonds. It's carbon comes and it gets under pressure and turns into a diamond. He like hides it in the earth. And then uh, these fossil fuels and all these different things. He like hides these things deep down. And these men will spend hundreds of millions of dollars to try and find it. You see, God doesn't mind having things, treasures on the surface, but he puts those treasures on the surface to indicate, hey, keep looking, and when you seek, you find. The deeper you dig, the more you find. That is an incredible attribute of God. In other words, yes, he purposely actually hides and buries things, but not so that they would be buried forever, it's so that they would be uncovered, and there's no greater satisfaction than to find something. As an author, it's a simple rule of thumb. Don't force your treasures on your audience, on your reader. You need to help them find them so that your reader actually feels like they discovered something as opposed to you force something on them. Isn't that an interesting philosophy? Because a reader desires to discover. Just like in a, in a good novel, you hint, you foreshadow, but you don't start in the first paragraph and say, this is what is going to happen in this book. I'm going to give you the spoiler alert right now. That isn't how you do it. You, you bring them on a journey, and we want to be brought on a journey. Isn't that funny? In other words, some of us could get mad at God. Hey, why are you burying that? So that we can enjoy this together. Part of the enjoyment is the digging, is the exploration, is the mystery. And God has built his world that way. He himself and his kingdom is found in and through study. We don't just trip over God's great treasures. We discover them. And he says, you need to knock. You need to seek. You see, you need to ask. There's things that we are supposed to do to activate in our life, and then we begin to discover this gleam of gold. It's the discovery of a person. To study is to affectionately pursue a greater knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3.10. He's just going to say it. He's going to let it fly. This is the whole purpose. This is what it's all about, guys. That I may know him. Now, if we took him out of there and, and we just said, that I may know, and then it's like dot, dot, dot. And I said, okay, fill in the blank. What do you think Paul's going to say? I mean, if it depends on if you know Paul, like classic Paul. What's Paul going to say? What is Paul after? He's after a person. He's not just after a theology. He's not just after healthy and solid doctrine. He's not just after a changed world. Isn't that an interesting statement? He wants to know Christ. And when he knows Christ, other things begin to unfold. It's sort of like knowing that there's all this precious metal out there, but you really need the one thing that's going to help you find the precious metal. It's one of those metal detectors. And it, without that, it's like, how are you ever going to find it? Because it's all about an inch deep in the earth. And I mean, how would you even know where to begin in this vast world to find it? So what you say is, I want that metal detector. That's the way Jesus is. Once you get Jesus, you have that which everything, like a magnet, sticks to in Scripture. Everything uncorks. Everything unlocks once you know Jesus. 
Paul wants to know Jesus. Another D.L. Moody quote. Do not expect ever to exhaust the full meaning of Scripture. What? what? Hey, D.L. <laughs> Dwight. Uh, Dwight, what do you mean? Do not expect to ever exhaust the full meaning of Scripture. A supernatural God must have a supernatural book. Finite minds cannot grasp the infinite. That is one reason why men who know the Bible, who know the Bible best, find it ever new. Okay, that's a, that's a great quote, guys. Have you ever noticed that it's a phenomenon, okay? At the age of three, you know, your parents are teaching you a memory verse. And so there you are, and you're so cute, and everyone, you know, they bring the par- grandparents over, and they're like, say your verse now. And they're like, yeah, and you're saying the verse, and everyone's like cooing and, and awestruck and how, and how cute you are, and they pinch your cheek. That same verse, at the age of five, when you're in Sunday school, you learn again, and you learn something about it that you didn't know when you were three. It's like, huh, oh, that's about Jesus. I mean, you knew that, right? But you, that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, at the age of seven, you're at some summer camp, and what are they teaching on? That verse. And you learn something about the verse that you didn't know when you were three, and you didn't know when you were five. And then, of course, when you're 11, I, I don't know, you, you go to something. I don't know if it's maybe a Sunday school class. Or maybe your pastor is preaching on it, right? And you're like, I've never heard that before. So we can keep going through the life, right? And now you're you know, 25, and you've gone through multiple layers of exploration of this one passage of Scripture. And suddenly you learn that this one word in that sentence means this, and it actually reveals this, and it helps you understand this, 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 and this. Whoa! Same scripture. I mean, you knew that scripture when you were three. Or did you? You ever had that where you look back? Did I really know anything when I was three? Did I know anything when I was five? Did I actually know what I was even saying when I was seven? I mean, what did this actually mean to me when I was 11? Because I couldn't have understood it. That's how many of us look back, even at our baptism. And we're like, I don't know. Maybe I need to get rebaptized because I didn't know a thing, right? How could that actually have been genuine? When in actuality, it doesn't mean it wasn't genuine. It's just that God is taking you deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you get the idea that don't ever expect to exhaust the full meaning of Scripture, what if we just said do not ever expect to exhaust the full meaning of that one Scripture? <laughs> that, that stirs us at a very deep level. I mean, this is like, whoa. And that's the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. So uh, Thomas DeWitt Talmadge, listen to this. This is, this is quite the quote. As the smallest dewdrop on the meadow at night has a star sleeping in its bosom, so the most insignificant passage of Scripture has in it a shining truth. That's, isn't that amazing? A dewdrop is like going to literally have in it this, this reflection of all the heavenlies. So even the most small and insignificant passage, you thought that was insignificant, didn't you? is actually going to hold within it the heavenlies. It is going to have that in its bosom. Oh, it gets me so excited. It's like, I want to go to some small, insignificant passages and discover what God has there. And that's exactly the way you should be thinking. In other words, every word was given to us on purpose by the Holy Spirit so that we would excavate it, so that we would take out all the tools we have and we begin to dig and dig and dig And you could take one scripture and for a lifetime never troll its depths. Ha, that's impossible. Well, it's impossible with a book by Eric Ludi. Yeah, if I had a book, it's like, well, that one sentence. Yeah, you've sort of gotten to the end of what I meant there. Uh, You know, 
That, that's sort of all there is. I'm like, how boring is that, Eric? God has unlimited depths. What's wrong with your writing? Well, my writing isn't God's. That's the difference. The Word of God, the text of Scripture, is God's book. And so when you study it, you study it with an expectancy. You lean forward and go, wow, I have access to God's very Word. Charles Spurgeon says it a different way. Same truth, but just a different expression of it. It's beautiful. The flowers of God's garden bloom not only double, but sevenfold. They are continually pouring forth fresh fragrance. It's amazing, but so many of us have been impacted. And you know, at the levels of maturity that we are in our spiritual life in here, we've gone through God's garden, and we've caught the scent. And we're like, oh, wow, this is beautiful. And, and then you come back, and you remember you, you've observed that one flower, and you've gotten up close to it, and you've studied it, and you've observed it, you've worshiped God, you've shown gratefulness and thankfulness, you bow down in awe and wonder, and then you come up to that same flower, and it's incredible, same flower, but for whatever reason, you feel like you've never seen its beauty before, and it's more beautiful than you remember, and as you study it, you see more in it. It's almost like it's a new flower to you. How could that be? How could something that you have seen, studied, and worked over so many times, how could it feel fresh? And yet there's a difference between two plus two equaling four and God's kingdom pattern. You see, the kingdom of heaven is different than just a fact or a piece of data on this earth. Two plus two equaling four is just going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's like God in that sense. But it's different in the sense that it's just a fact, whereas a truth is a person. And it seems to have depth to it. And the more you study it, the more you look at it, the more nuance, dimension it has. Wow. So when I speak, I've, I've shared in the Ellerslie curriculum, and if we got Nathan out here, we could both say the same thing. We've both taught similar things for 10 years, okay? And before that, I was teaching this. Just because, I mean, even before Ellerslie, I was teaching this stuff, right? Just because... We made it formal. doesn't mean I came up with new ideas and started teaching new things. This is what I was teaching before that. So it's been years. And we'll repeat them multiple times throughout the year. And then when I travel and speak, guess what people want to hear? They, oh, could you, could you give this one message? Yeah, sure, I'd, I'd love to. So you could say, boy, that's going to get dry and dusty. I tell you what, it is a miracle of miracles that when we revisit these truths, knowing that they are the foundational truths. Now, if you give me an option, I'm still going to study new things, okay? I still want to give new messages. That's why Nathan and I really like Daily Thunder. We're able to get new content, not just Ellerslie content. But I tell you what, when we're going through Ellerslie content, we, our, our hearts will be on fire as if we have never heard this before. I mean, we'll go, be going through it and be thinking, that is profound. Have I ever taught this before? I mean, it is so amazing, and that's what I love about the truth of Jesus Christ. Nathan, can you attest to that? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just shocking to think that, I mean, Nathan and I know these truths really well, right? To the point where we have thought them through, meditated them, prayed about them so long, spoke about them for years, even decades, and then we deliver them, and we're like shocked at how amazing they are. That is extraordinary. We'll even get excited on stage, even though the rest of you might just be staring at us going, what in the world's so excited? Don't you see this? This is amazing. This is a great testimony, guys, from a man that lived it for a lifetime, George Mueller. I have read the Bible through a hundred times in order, and every time with increasing joy. 
Whenever I have started afresh, it seemed like a new book to me. Okay, how do you explain that? Well, that's what we're trying to say here. This is not something that grows dry and dusty. It doesn't matter how much you go over this terrain, it's fresh and new. And when you begin to realize that as a Christian, it gives you an expectancy. You see, we're not just like, oh, I've already covered that ground, already studied that scripture, oh, I already know that truth. I repeat the same truths to myself every day because they're living truths. It's not like I get up out of bed, stick my feet on the floor in the morning and go, two plus two equals four. That's not what I'm reminding myself. I remind myself about living truths. He is the Almighty. He is unchanging. He has come to this earth, clothed himself in the garment of manhood, and he has lived the life that I couldn't live, and he lived it for me. And when I believe in him, that faith brings me into his work. And when he went to that cross, I share in that cross work, and I am crucified with Christ. And when he was buried, I, my old man, was buried. But when he rose to newness of life, Eric Ludi rose to newness of life in Christ Jesus. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he took me with him and brought me into that heavenly place. I have a bold entry into the throne room of grace where I may obtain mercy and grace for help in time of need. And when I pray, I pray from that position in the name of Jesus. This is my reflection all throughout every day. I know it really well, sure, but it feels fresh to me. There are moments when I have to remind myself be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Eric, remember, you are in the Lord. So be strong in that position. I have to rehearse the most basic truths so that I can rise up and live in this body. And I tell you what, there are times when the same truth that I have taught for years suddenly feels like it's brand new. And I have the giddiness of a little schoolboy going, I get it. I get it. Did I not get it before? I get it, though. I don't care about before. At least I get it now. Uh, D.L. Moody. This is like the third one. I'm really into D.L. Moody this morning. <clears throat> I thank God there is in God's word a height I have never been able to reach, a depth I have never been able to fathom, a length and a breadth I know nothing about. It makes the book all the more fascinating and proves it divine. Whew. This is, I'm excited about this message. This is deeply stirring to me. There is never an end to the discovery. So I worked on a project with another man, and the fact, I, I ended up abandoning the project, but it's not because it wasn't a really powerful project. There was other, just, uh, other issues that are just a whole story in themselves. But I worked on a novel for, I, I want to say three to four years. I've always said four, but I'm going to just say three to four just in case. And it was a huge project. By the time we got done, it was, it was a massive compilation. But uh, I had to shelve it. And it was such an interesting project for me because it got me into the mind that we're talking about right now. Because in this, it was a book where you could read this novel at layer one and you could find gold, and you could just enjoy it. It's a very entertaining storyline, a very engaging plot. I mean, it's fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. But if you were to look at it deeper and read it again, you could actually see layer two, because we actually stuck a layer two in there. But you may not know that in the first round. And we also had a layer three and a layer four. 
on purpose. We put those in beforehand. We actually created a prequel and we created a sequel before we started so that all of those things were foreshadowed. So when you read the prequel, it is like a puzzle piece that matches with uh, the initial work and the sequel would flow out of and answer questions that you didn't even know you had yet. In other words, that we're like hiding in there. We had an appendix that would help explain words and bring you into Christian history. It was like, so the mind behind it was very high, right? And yet that's a work of men. What would it be like if God sat back and began to you know, chew on the end of his pen and think through how he would express himself in his word? Okay, you get, you get the notions? There are things that happened before in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because what you see is you see a formless void there in the spirit of God hovering over the waters. So how did that get there? <laughs> what was going on here? Well, there's a prequel, I'm sure. <laughs> there's something that God could give us. But he, he says, that's not your focus right now. And there's going to be a sequel. We, we don't know exactly what's going to happen after this. Have you, have you ever had those, those thoughts of like, okay, God, so like, you come, rider on the white steed, and you, know, you establish your kingdom forever. And then what? What do we do? Well, what's going to happen? Because I would really like to know that. Well, he, it's not necessary. Right now, this is the book. This is what you need to know. And it has so many depths. Not just three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I cannot even imagine it's just fathomless is the concept. It keeps going. There is never an end to the discovery. So the attitude behind the study. Now, this morning after this, we're going to actually talk about the endless frontier, but the endless frontier mentality that there is actually no end. It's, an, and it, it's a, such a vast, unexplored region that God desires us to explore. Could you imagine just if the world out here, ima imagine that no one had ever made a map of it, no one had ever seen it, and God says, I give it to you. There's always been a fence, a blockade, and suddenly the blockade just goes and goes down. He says, it's yours. Go discover. Go find. See if you can find me out there in every cave, in every hill. Look at all the views. Look from every angle. See what I see. Get to know me. Wouldn't it be an amazing thought to think that it's uncharted? And that's, that is, in a sense, what it feels like when you go into the Bible, if you look at it that way. It is sort of like this, this fence goes down. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit now. If you study the Bible as just a Jew, a dutiful Jew, a Jewish rabbi that doesn't believe in the Christ, guess what? You have yourself a high wall. It's a, it's a locked gate, and you can't understand. You can't get in. You can't get the mystery solved, and so you make guesses. And so they guess that there would be two messiahs. There must be, because it's impossible for one man to be all of these things. He can't be from the lineage, you know, of the, this Melchizedek. He can't be of the lineage of uh, the kings at the same time. And then, of course, he has to be born of a woman who's a virgin. That's weird. So how in the, it must be two that it is talking about. So it'll be one after the pattern of Joseph and one after the pattern of David. They're guessing. It's educated guesses. They're not bad guesses, but they're still wrong. You see, there's a gate, there's a wall that stands up, and Jesus is the one that unlocks it. It all goes down, and the Holy Spirit says, let's go explore God. Hey, I want to take you on a journey. The very one who wrote the words is our personal guide into understanding it. That's pretty good. Talk about an upgrade from using your own mind and your own intellect to actually having the Holy Spirit. 
Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. There's a promise. You will seek me and find me, and then there's a condition. When you search for me with all your heart. Now, did you know that that's the same truth with basically anything in, in life? If you search for something with all your heart, oh, you'll find it. Say you wanted to search and understand math. You take your math textbook, and you search with all your heart, you know, you'll, you'll understand math. Now, most of us don't really want to do that with our math textbook for fear that our mom will discover our passion for math and then give us more math classes, right? And so we're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm done with math, and so we don't seek it with all our heart. Have you ever noticed that when you don't seek something with passion and with vigor and with interest and expectancy that you don't learn it? Weird, okay? It's one of those fascinating things. If you are not interested in a topic and you're in that class, it'll like ding, it'll sort of bounce off like there's a tin cap over your head. It's like ding, and it just won't stick because all you really care about is what I need, need to know to pass the test, okay? So, okay, I'll grab that, all right, put it down on the paper, and then you leave the classroom. After the test, you can't even remember it because you are not interested, you're not engaged, you're not with all your heart. When you open up and you say, I want this. Now you take Eric Ludi, I'll give you a, a contrast. Eric Ludi with uh, knowledge of grilling growing up. I did not want to do grilling, and it's funny because I still don't really enjoy grilling. You know, m most men are just like, I love to grill. And I'm always like, that is weird. Because uh, I don't, I don't like to hunt, I don't like to grill. I do like other manly things, okay, but those two manly things that are like define most men today, I for whatever reason don't enjoy. So when I'm growing up, my mom thought it would be right for the man, you know, Eric, in this situation to go out and start at the grill and to, you know, prepare the grill and to clean it off and to cook the burgers, right? And I had no interest in doing that. And so she's like, Eric, could you start at the grill? And I'm like, I don't remember how. And, and she would be like, excuse me, I have taught you 10 times how to do it. And here's what's funny. I genuinely didn't remember how. And it's not that I was an idiot, even though that would be an arguable point in this story. It's that I didn't want to learn when my mom was teaching me. She would teach me, and I didn't want to start up the grill the next time, so I would repel the knowledge. I don't want to be in charge of the grilling, and so I don't want to learn this. And what's weird is I didn't learn it. And so I could genuinely say with uh, truthfulness, I don't remember how, even though my mom could not comprehend. She probably taught me 20 to 30 times growing up how to start the grill, and I did not want to learn. One time I was actually out there, and I was grumbling, and I turned on the, uh, the gas, and then I, I had the lid down, and it was like filling up with gas, and then I was looking and trying to figure out how to do this, because I couldn't remember. And then I pushed the ignite. <laughs> and it, it exploded. It was like, <laughs> and the flames went shooting out. And they, I don't know what the term would be, but they uh, singed, the singe, I think is the term, singed all the hair off my arm. And my arm smelled, I know this is going to sound funny, like chicken. <laughs> So it's like, hey guys, this is what you get. You are that close to the flames of hell when you choose to repel the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? And so it's interesting, but you take that same kid, and I'm going to transition into a different topic, sports, very specifically sports statistics. 
I knew everything. Everything that I even accidentally glanced at, I would remember. I could tell you things that you would be shocked and I would know. I would know almost every name of every player, okay, especially in football. Football was my favorite. And so I knew, I could tell you an average runs per carry, average yards per carry of a running back that you wouldn't even know that existed. I'm like, oh yeah, he averages 2.7 yards per carry. It's like, how do you know that? I don't know. But I was flypaper for it. Anything that got near, I just held onto it. I could tell you what shoe sponsored them. I could tell you their birth date. I could tell you what college they graduated from. I could tell you how many years in the NFL they've played. You're like, how would you know that? You don't even know how to start a grill? I wanted to know one. I didn't want to know the other. When you want to know something, you will know it. And so if you want to know God, there's a simple rule of thumb. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. So when we pursue him, it's a guarantee built in fact that we will find him that's exciting the secret to intimacy in marriage and family so as we go through the arts of intimacy you're going to notice that the art of intimacy in seeking god and knowing god is actually the same as seeking and knowing your spouse and seeking and knowing your children if you seek them with all your heart they will be found you will seek them and find them. This is Eric Ludy's you know, paraphrased edition of it. You will seek them and find them when you search for them with all your heart. They will be found by you. Studying with all your heart. So if I held a grapefruit up here and I said, is there juice in this grapefruit? You'd know that there's juice. You just wouldn't know how much juice. And that's the same way it is with scripture. We're like, is there juice in that scripture? You're like, yes. But you don't realize how much there is. And that's why I, it's the grapefruit principle. You know, when I was growing up, my dad would uh, prepare grapefruit. It was like a Saturday morning type of a thing. He'd, uh, sometimes he'd prepare uh, pancakes and, and cook those, or sometimes he'd do grapefruits. He'd chop them in half, and then he would carve them with a knife. This is before you had those like serrated uh, spoons, you know, where you just go and dig them out. Cheating. Uh, my dad would like go in and cut out on everyone's grapefruit. This is a massive project, right? And I, I used to love grapefruit. And I, I don't drink, eat, drink, drink. Do you drink grapefruit? I eat grapefruit like I used to, but I, I really should get back into it because it's very, uh, it sounds really good right now. Even as I'm talking about it, it's like I could really use a good grapefruit. Uh, but what's interesting is I used to love to eat all the grapefruit. And, and that was uh, juicy and, and so much juice. And then I would begin to do the squeezing process. I don't know if any of you have gone through this, but then you start the squeezing process and it goes into your spoon and you drink it. And then what fascinates me is that you can just keep going. Because right when you would mo most likely give up, if you didn't know the nature of a grapefruit, you'd give up. Most people would give up unless they know grapefruits. And if they know grapefruits, they just keep squeezing. And then someone's like, hey, why do you, why do you keep squeezing the thing? Because there's more in there. And you just keep getting more out. It is shocking how much you can get out of a grapefruit. It is shocking how much you can get out of the word of God. If you approach it like a supernatural grapefruit, it literally never ends. The more you squeeze, the more you get out. So it's sort of like studying with all your heart. Squeeze that grapefruit, then squeeze it some more. 
affectionate observation and pursuit. So that's a good way of describing study. It's affection, a study of the word of God, study of Jesus Christ. It's not just data. You know, when you're studying math, you don't have affection. You're not pursuing something. It's just you're studying it academically. But this is different. This is studying a person. Affectionate observation and pursuit. Great love for Christ is a result of great observation and pursuit of Jesus Christ and his revealed word. But there are two ways to observe his word. One way is to observe with a critical eye, seeking fault, weakness, and frailty. The God way, however, is to observe with an eye for all that is lovely and lovable. Do you guys need uh, access to that? I see some of you trying to write it down. Sorry, you don't have notes for this. You just have uh, this quick... Uh, slides. I've been lingering on some of the slides for a long time, though, and then the one that you guys try and write down, I started going past. The God way, however, is to observe with an eye for all that is lovely and lovable. When a Christian studies the King of Kings with the desire to truly know him, understand him, appreciate him, and more effectively serve him, and the Christian will find that intimacy with Christ. Then the Christian will find that intimacy with Christ. What? Then the Christian will find that intimacy with Christ. I think it's supposed to say, then that intimacy with Christ will find them. That's what I'm thinking it's supposed to say. Then that intimacy with Christ will find them. Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height. That's exciting. All right, let's pray. Father, With the Apostle Paul, we say that we want to know you. That we would know Jesus. That is the movement of our soul. That is the longing, desire that we have. And Lord, we desire to pursue you today with all our heart. To not hold anything back, but to go after it. Lord, give us a passion, an interest, a fascination, a hunger, a desire, a thirst. Lord, whatever the term is that would best fit what you desire to do in our life, cultivate that. Lord, and may we squeeze that word like it's a grapefruit to get all that is in it today for us. Lord, like collecting our daily manna, may we go out and eagerly receive that which you desire to reveal to us, to give us to feed upon. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you so much for your ways. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.